Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again as we continue in our series called Territories, in which we're looking at the way God's kingdom expands on the earth physically and spiritually as we follow after Jesus. We're in the middle of a 21-day fast together as a church. What's a fast, you ask, those of you uh, tuning in or visiting for the first time. A fast is that a period of time in which we abstain from something in order to dedicate ourselves to prayer. To traditionally abstaining from food, but you can abstain from social media or coffee or whatever it is in order to dedicate yourself to prayer. Uh, and if you haven't already started, you can still get in on this with us and fast. We're going to fast till the end of the month, till January 31st, uh, or you can start your own 21-day fast if you want to. But we're fasting specifically because we want to see God's kingdom expand physically and spiritually in our lives and in the life of our church. Real Life has the opportunity coming up to purchase the Valley Center property. And in, in that event, God's footprint of worship space in Southern California is expanding at a time where so many churches are closing. And so we want to be a part of what God is doing in our land. And so we're pl- praying that God would bless that process as we move towards ownership of the Valley Center property. Um, if, you, uh, if you've never fasted before uh, and you start to do it, you may, you may realize that uh, when you first begin fasting, what you primarily experience is being hungry and grumpy and not much else. And that's okay. That's how you initiate yourself into fasting. But once you've been at it for a while, you'll start to realize that your prayer life is clarifying and your, your prayer life is deepening to the point that you feel like you're enter, entering into a conversation with our Father. Uh, on the first day of our fast, uh, I, was, uh, I was praying and, uh, you know, I've, I've experimented in fasting for a while now, so the hunger doesn't throw me off course when I first started. I, I decided I was going to take three days uh, without food and then enter into a Daniel diet, of only eating uh, vegetable products uh, for the rest of the month. And uh, on that first day of fasting, I was praying, and I heard uh, in my mind a sentence from Scripture. And I knew it was a, a line from Jesus, but it was only half of uh, a sentence, It wasn't a full sentence. It was uh, in order to do the will of him who sent me, to do the will of him who sent me. And I thought, I remember Jesus saying that, but I can't remember the first half of the sentence. And and I couldn't remember, I I didn't know why that sentence was coming to mind. So I went to the scriptures to look it up. As you should do, anytime a Bible verse comes to mind, it's probably the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And so you want to go and look at the text that's coming to mind. And I went and looked it up, and it happened to be a passage in John chapter 6, in which Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. Not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that's where it was, right in the middle of a passage in which uh, Jesus talked about being the bread of life who provides for those who are hungry. Right as I began a fast, of abstaining from food for three days. And that was Jesus speaking into my heart and mind to remind me about what fasting is for. Fasting is uh, an opportunity to enter into the presence of Jesus. 
it's not a transaction where we suffer a little bit and then Jesus has to pay us back. It's not a transaction. It's an interaction with the God who loves us. It's an interaction designed to remove distractions that keep us from standing in his presence. And that's what fasting is. Fasting is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. We don't glorify fasting. It's a, it's a means to an end. It gets us to that place where we get to spend time uninterrupted in the presence of Jesus. It's not a transaction. It's an interaction to remove distractions so that we can stand undistracted in the presence of Jesus. That's what fasting is. And so that's how my fast began, with, with Jesus saying, remember, I'm the bread of life. And uh, that same day, uh, I, got, I got a call later that day uh, from a family that wanted to be baptized. There were uh, three people. We baptized them uh, this last week. Uh, I got a call from them saying, hey, they wanted to be baptized. And then I got another call from somebody confirming that we would be able to deliver groceries to people in need from our Glendora campus starting in March. And uh, that's something that I, I love taking part in as a regular basis. I know there's several people in our congregation who take part in various pantries and food distribution networks. And those are things that, that don't serve my own personal interest. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're things that forward the kingdom of God on the earth. When, when we feed the poor, when we, uh, when we uh, make Jesus known so that people step across that line and decide to follow him and be baptized, that's God's kingdom forwarding on, uh, spreading on the earth. And so as we fast and as we study the expansion of God's territories on the earth, that's exactly what we should expect to see. I'm not at all surprised that right as we began that fast together as a church, things started moving spiritually. People started stepping forward to say, hey, I'm in, I want to be baptized. People started saying, yes, you can take part in, in the work of God's kingdom to feed the poor. And, uh, and so I expect to see more of that. We're not done yet. I expect that's just the beginning of it. And don't be surprised if in your life you begin to see spiritual breakthroughs in things that you have prayed over before where nothing has changed. Don't be surprised if you start to see God move in things where you, you just haven't been able to solve it or answer it or get past it. Because fasting opens up a door so that we can spend time interrupted in the presence of Jesus. I think part of the reason fasting works the way it does is because it, it cuts off our most primal drives. Now, a baby is genetically wired to suckle before it can contemplate. And so when we fast, we cut off the most basic of our drives, the drive for self-preservation, the drive to uh, curb our, our hunger, our our biological impulses, the desire to follow the norms everybody eats three times a day or whatever it is. When we fast, we say, I'm going to put aside all of that. I'm going to put aside even self-preservation because, Lord, you are more important to me than my own life. Don't be surprised if when you say things like that, God responds. I expect we'll see more of it this month. So now we're going to dive back into our series in uh, our studies of God's territories, God's kingdom expanding on the earth. And we're going through the Bible and looking at the various instances in the Bible where God's kingdom expanded physically and spiritually. Because the physical expansion of God's kingdom leads to the spiritual expansion of God's kingdom. And the spiritual expansion of God's kingdom leads to the physical expansion of God's kingdom. 
Uh, Last week, we started by looking at Abraham and Sarah, who stood in the land that God had promised them. And God promised them that they would be a nation, that they would have descendants as as many as there are stars in the sky, and that he would bless them and that they would be a blessing. That's the beginning of the the expansion of God's territory on the earth. By the end of the first book of the Bible, they end up in slavery in Genesis, in slavery in Egypt at the end of Genesis. Uh, uh, They end up uh, because of a famine, because they're hungry, they're driven out of their land. And after centuries of slavery, they call out to God and say, remember that promise. Remember how we were supposed to have a homeland that would be ours. And so Moses will lead them out. Uh, a burn, God will speak out of a burning bush. And Moses will go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he'll lead the Israelites through the desert back to their homeland, their promised land, the land of Canaan, what will, we, what will become Israel. And so today, we're going to rejoin the Israelites on that journey out of slavery back into their homeland, back into their territory, right when they're standing outside of it. And they send spies in to explore the land. And the spies come back with a report of what God is giving them. As we get into the text together, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your kingdom is expanding, that you have called around you faithful disciples, mighty people, passionate followers, who, though we are broken, though we have failed to live according to your calling, you save us and redeem us and wash away the brokenness of our past and set us free to new life. Do more of that today. Set us free to go chasing after you. Help us to see where your kingdom is expanding and help us to be part of your work. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Uh, Open in your Bibles, uh, wherever you got them, turn them on, open them up, whatever it is. Uh, Look at Numbers chapter 13. So the Bible goes this way, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at the end of chapter 13 and the beginning of chapter 14. Uh, This uh, And this is a text in which uh, the spies have gone into the land led by Joshua and Caleb, and they come back out and report to Moses what they've found. Chapter 13, verse 27, listen to God's word. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey was a sign of prosperity. It was was rich. It had the the nutrients that uh, they needed to live on, and honey was a a special dessert, a special reward. So it's, it's got lavish goods inside of it. Here is its fruit. They stole some grapes and brought them out. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And then skip down to verse 30. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb looks at this land that's filled with giants, filled with these these strong inhabitants that make them feel tiny uh, in their own eyes. And they, they look at that and they, Caleb says, you know what? Don't worry about it. We can do this. I, I like Caleb. I like Caleb a lot. If he were alive today, 
he would either be the CEO of a startup company or a, a mountain climber who travels around the world and takes on the biggest mountains, or he, you know, he might be incarcerated. Because he had the kind of faith that said, no matter what is against me, my God is bigger than that. So I'm not going to look at the, the reality that's staring me in the face. I'm going to look at the reality that I know that exists in all times. My God is bigger than my challenges. And Caleb would just forge ahead and take them on. If God is with me, what do I have to be afraid of, was his mindset. It actually kind of reminds me of a line from Lord of the Rings from the movies where the good guys are about to go take on evil and try to destroy evil in the world. And one of the dwarves says, uh, certain chance of uh, certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? And, you know, honestly, the Bible blesses that kind of faith. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, those references are really out of date now. Are you going to, like, get some new references? Look, there's a prequel to Lord of the Rings coming out in September, so you're going to be hearing about this all year and probably until the time you die. In fact, I'll probably be telling Lord of the Rings stories at your funeral, so just get used to it. Uh, but this is, the, this is the kind of faith that the Bible blesses. The small chance of success, certainty of death, what are we waiting for? Or as the, the spies would put it, we, what do we have to be afraid of? Our God is bigger. Uh, I like Caleb. Uh, and honestly, uh, I want to be a, a Caleb kind of church. The Bible affirms this kind of faith over and over again. It affirms it when Noah builds a boat while all of his neighbors make fun of him. It affirms it while David goes rushing in to take on Goliath. It affirms it when Peter gets out of the boat and tries to walk on water. Let's be a Caleb kind of church. Let's be the kind of church that isn't afraid of the sifting sands of culture or those who would openly and aggressively oppose the church. I mean, I've been to all kinds of churches that lived afraid. And they would say, we can't do it that way. We've done that before and it didn't work. We don't have enough money. Let's wait a few years and try again. And that's not faith. Those churches die. Let's look at the challenges that stand before us as a congregation, as a people, and say, our, our God is bigger. What do we have to be afraid of? Let's go take the land because certainly we can take it. Uh, we are a Caleb kind of church, and we've shown that multiple times before. When a preschool comes open uh, and it's uh, about to dissolve, it's about to cease to exist, and here's the opportunity to speak the name of Jesus into the lives of a hundred little kids and all their families, and a dozen other churches just let the opportunity go by. Did you know that? I don't know if I've told you that before. The, the owners of uh, the preschool that is now Real Life Preschool called a dozen different churches and said, would you, would you take this preschool? Do you want it? And, and none of them even responded. We looked at that in the middle of a pandemic and said, sure, our God is big enough to take this on. What do we have to be afraid of? You're a Caleb kind of church when, when you see that People need to be fed. People need groceries. People need to be taken care of. And instead of saying, well, we'll leave that to somebody else. That's too much time and money. And you say, no, no, no. That, that's the will of God. That's the work of God, and we want to be a part of it. What do we have to be afraid of? That's a Caleb kind of church. And that's the kind of church I want to pastor. When you've got personal challenges in your life, decide whether or not you want to be a Caleb kind of disciple. Because if you, if you venture out in faith and you first start to talk to people about Jesus, I know your, your heart may tell you this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be awkward. Maybe we should wait and see if it comes up naturally in conversation and not make things too weird. Or 
you can say, no, this is more important than anything else. I'm going to be a Caleb kind of disciple and do the things that Jesus has called me to. Or you may even be facing a a move in your life, a a change in profession, a change in where you live or where you work. And you know it's going to be hard. And I understand that it's scary. But the question is not, are you big enough to handle it? The question is, is your God big enough to lead you through it? You may be in a place where you're ready to just retire and relax. Life has treated you well and you're good. The hard work is behind you now. And you're thinking, maybe I can just store up everything I have and eat, drink, and be merry. And God is saying to you, I haven't haven't called you to relax. I've called you to follow me. The question isn't whether or not you have enough energy. The question is whether or not God's spirit resides within you. Let's be a Caleb kind of church. Let's be a Caleb kind of people. When we look at a land that God has promised us and see that it is filled with giants that oppose us, let's say confidently, surely we can take it. Not because we're big enough, but because our God is big enough. All right, go back to the text with me. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, now this is the other spies who went up with Caleb, the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they, and they, spread, and they uh, the, the spies now who are afraid, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. This is uh, from the book of Genesis. It's a reference to this mighty people. We We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. You see what happened there? Do you think they went up to the residents of the land and said, Hey, do we look like grasshoppers to you? They didn't ask. They just assumed. They felt like grasshoppers themselves, and so they assumed that's how they appeared to the eyes of the giants living in the land. Uh, and isn't that, isn't that the way we do? When, when, when your self-esteem gets at you, you assume that other people are seeing you the way you see yourself. And then that creates all kinds of relational damage. I feel like a grasshopper, which means you probably look at me like a grasshopper, which means now I resent you for doing that. That's because the only right way to see ourselves is to look at ourselves through the eyes of God. And God sees us as a precious creation that he made, that he empowers, that he loves, and that he will never abandon. That's the only right way to see ourselves. And you know who saw themselves that way? Joshua and Caleb, they knew who they were. They knew where they stood with God. It was the the other spies who went around stirring up gossip about how bad this trip was going to be. And you know what happened to them? They all died in the desert. Not one of them entered the promised land in the end. Numbers chapter 14 at verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? 
Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Pastors alternatively laugh and cry over passages like this. You see what they do? Why has the Lord brought us here? Let's blame that guy. Why did the Lord bring us here? Let's get a different leader. And what do they want? They want the safety of slavery over the risk of the God who wants them to be free. And a lot of us have settled for the safety of slavery instead of pursuing after the God who wants us to be free. We've settled for a toxic workplace or terrible dating relationships or a stagnant faith. And that slavery is safe because it's familiar. But it's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus made us to be a free people. And he wants to set us free from the things that bind us and hold us down. When the Lord leads you against giants, don't turn and try to run back. Just remind yourself, my God is bigger. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, which was a sign of grief or offense, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. This is... This is, the, the, this, is, this is what arises when we are called to courageous faith. This is what arises when we face the giants in the land that we will inevitably face. There, there's always the option of disobeying God, betraying your leaders, and running away in fear. And it's such a temptation when the world is in such chaos. It takes faith to be able to stand in the face of opposition and say... No matter what the world looks like, my God is bigger. Look at what's required for us to grow in courageous faith. Look at what we need to, to do in order to build ourselves in faith so that when the day comes where we face these challenges, we are unafraid. I'll give you some basic steps to get started. If you're new to our church, if you've just tuned in or just shown up and you, you've never dived in with Jesus before, the two basic first steps are, the two basic elementary building blocks are, you've got to join a small group where you can study the scripture with some other believers, and you've got to find a ministry in which you can serve so you can feel God's spirit moving through you to bless those around you in Jesus' name. If you don't do those two basic things, the church has nothing to offer you. It's not that we don't love you, it's just that we can't help you. Because you need to get in a place where you're learning the scripture and doing community together uh, as, a, as a group, as, as, a, as a family. And you need to find a place 
where God's spirit can flow through you to bless others. Those are the basic building blocks. If you've already gotten there, if that's, if that's behind you now, you've done that for years, then you need to start to experiment in acts of courage that will test your faith. Some, for some of us, it's as simple as praying out loud with our family for the first time because you've never done it before. Maybe you're the only person in your family who believes. And it's a stretch to say, hey, can I pray over a meal with the family before we eat? But, but that step of faith might seem like a small thing. It, it's, it's big the first time you do it. It's awkward and it's scary the first time you do it. But hey, your God is bigger. Be a Caleb kind of disciple. Or if you've done that before, if that's commonplace, try and talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus. Step over that line and see what it's like to become a missionary for God in this world. The first time you do it, it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. And you'll hesitate. You won't know what to say. Do it anyway. Be a Caleb kind of disciple. and Don't be afraid. If you're used to doing that, if you've, if you've done that repeatedly, try praying for someone to be healed for the first time. The first time you do it, it'll be awkward. It'll be scary. You think maybe this isn't going to work. Do it anyway. Be a Caleb kind of disciple and show God that you want to live in courageous faith and watch what happens. I prayed for a woman a week ago because she told me she couldn't sleep at night. She said she'd gone three days without hardly any sleep at all. Uh, And I prayed for her. And uh, a week later, I talked to her and she said she'd slept well every single night of the week. Uh, You know what it cost me? Nothing. It it just takes enough courage to say, I'm going to act on faith and see what God does. The Christian church looks backwards at a great cloud of witnesses, of faithful disciples who have gone before us and who have lived courageously in the face of terrible obstacles so that the faith would go on, so that the territory of the kingdom of God would expand on the earth physically and spiritually. We look back at mothers and fathers in faith who have lived for God above all else, and through their faithfulness, the church has expanded. We look back at guys like Martin Luther, who back in the 16th century decided to call out the Catholic Church for its abuses. They were selling forgiveness to people in order to raise money to build their European cathedrals. And Luther began to write against them and teach against them, though he himself was a a monk in the Catholic Church. He began to say that God's freedom, God's, God's forgiveness, was not something that the church got to control. And the church had no right to sell it. The Catholic Church at that point had several hundred years of history of torturing people to death through what was called the Inquisition when they challenged the church. In 1521, Luther was called up on trial and he was warned by the Catholic Church that he needed to recant of everything he had taught. And Luther famously said, My conscience is held captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant Because to defy one's conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. And with that, he began a reformation that has changed the church and the world to this day. He didn't see the giants that stood before him. He literally looked death in the face and said, my God is bigger. And expressions of faith like that are what makes the territory of the kingdom expand. There's a a pastor alive today, a a Christian guy alive today, who I got to hear at a conference this last week named William Wood, guy from Alabama, a little bit younger than me. 
And uh, he had lived a life as sort of a wrecked drug addict for many years and then was uh, converted miraculously when Jesus intervened in his life. And when that happened, he said he was going to live for Jesus in every way. He was going to give everything up for Jesus. And he began doing things that normal people don't do. He would get together with a friend of his, and they'd go out looking for people to pray for, specifically praying that people would be healed, and then introducing them to Jesus. They literally would just get in the car and drive around looking for ways to do ministry. Uh, he said one day he was out in the car with his friend Woody, and uh, Woody's driving the car, and uh, William's sitting in the passenger seat, and they're out driving around, and William said he saw a black bird fly by, and he just felt this impression in his heart that that bird was going to fly to someone who was struggling with death. And he turns to Woody and says, I, I feel like God's telling me that bird is flying in the direction of someone who's struggling with death. And Woody said, well, come on then. And they're from Alabama. And so they, they began following this bird down the streets. Everywhere it went, they turned the corner, they followed it left and right. And the bird came to rest in a tree outside a house. And so they pulled in the driveway and, and began to speculate about what, how this was going to go when they walked up and knocked on the door. They were about to get out of the car, but a, a man stepped out of the front door of the house carrying a gun. William turned to Woody and said, uh-oh, what's going to happen? And Woody said, this is Alabama. He's going to shoot us. And he goes, William says, okay, let me do the talking. And he walks up to this guy who's just walked out of his house holding a gun and says to the man, we're here because the Lord told us someone at this house was struggling with death. He said, the man dropped the gun, fell to his knees, and began weeping. He said he had a son who was five years old in the hospital who had a terminal illness, and it looked like it was coming to the end. He was carrying the gun because he was going to go out and go hunting just to get his mind off of things. So the three men sat together and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. After a good length of time, the man got up and he picked up the gun, took it back in the house and picked up his phone. And on his phone, there was a text from the hospital. And he got a message and they, they said, come down here. William left his phone number and went off on his way, but he got a call later from the dad. He had gone down to the hospital and the doctor said, we don't know how to tell you this, but there's no sign of disease in your son's body at all. You might as well take him home. That kind of thing only happens when we live lives of great faith. When we look at the giants in the land of death, of opposition, of stress and chaos, of pandemics, of aggression, and we say, I, I don't care. The land that God is giving us is flowing with milk and honey. It's a great land. And the land will not devour us. We will devour it. Because our God is bigger than the giants that stand before us. If you want to live a life of faith, if you want to live a life of courage, it's time to take that step. If you've never followed Jesus before, take that step now and begin to follow after him. But if you have, if you've already started on that journey, just pray today, God, what's the next step? And then watch where he leads you. Let's pray.
Jesus, I thank you that you are bigger than the, the giants in the land around us. I thank you that no matter what obstacles we face in our relationships, in our work life, in our, in our world, I thank you that you're bigger than the giants that stand before us. Set us free to live lives of real faith. Set us free from the stagnancy of normalcy and call us to passion and to life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.